Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Have you ever played hide-and-seek with a very young child? Oh, it's fantastic. They'll stand in the middle of the room with hands over their eyes, positive they can't be seen, because they can't see you. Now, with kids, it's cute. With adults, it's funny. Unless they're serious. And then you call someone... Unfortunately, this is exactly what very smart, seemingly sane, reasonable, logical adults are doing every day, and in greater and greater numbers, with regard to the existence of God. A massive number of people are standing in the middle of creation, eyes covered, telling the rest of us how there is no God because they can't see him. So today we're going to find a needle in a haystack, and then we'll talk about the ancient mythological creature, woman, and then... Ain't nobody going to be happy. So grab your best pair of mag-eyes, call your non-prostate-owning gestational birthing person, they then miss you, and get your hanky out, because uh, here we go. There's an old cartoon I was recently reminded of in a YouTube video, one that's been used for a variety of purposes, but the premise is that your worldview, or more basically your perception, is reality. The cartoon is that of a large number written on the ground, One person is at one end of the number, the other person is at the opposite end. The first person says, it's a six. The other person says, it's a nine. So see, perception is reality. Evidence is up for whatever interpretation best fits your worldview. The only problem is, if we put a little thought into this cartoon, this number was placed on the ground deliberately by someone for some reason. So that number is either a six, or a nine. Although two people can perceive it differently, it was placed there as one of those numbers only and specifically. And so one of those observers is right, the other is wrong. Although two people can perceive it differently, it was placed there as one of those numbers only. So one of those observers is right, the other is wrong. Delving even deeper into a single-panel simplistic cartoon, rather than the observers arguing and walking away disagreeing, both deciding that they're the right one and the other one is wrong, what they should do is both walk to the opposite ends. At that point, they could each view the other possible interpretation and then have a reasoned discussion, working together, now both knowing all possibilities. And from that point, they collect evidence and weigh it based on both theories to determine which interpretation best fits the data. For instance, maybe viewing it as a nine, looking up from the ground, you see a building with nine windows facing you. Okay, well, that's possible. But maybe you look down the sidewalk to the right and to the left, and you see a five and a seven. Ah, well, now the only reasonable explanation would be a six. So I've given you that long, drawn-out cartoon illustration to bring you a recent, well, set of articles outlining a fossil find from an obviously cataclysmic event, one of which should be viewed using all possible theories, 
but won't be, at least not by what uh, I'll call the parishioners of science. Found just about everywhere right now, but we'll start with TheGuardian.com. Headline, scientists find fossil of dinosaur killed on day of asteroid strike. Can we start there, please? Dinosaurs were on the Earth an alleged 165 to 177 million years total. As we all know, they died out about 66 million years ago. So if we use the 165 million year figure, that's 60.27 billion days. And we found a fossil bed from the day of the asteroid strike. That's a 1 in 60.27 billion chance, or a 0.0000000166% chance. This is likely why Philip Manning, a professor of natural history at the University of Manchester, said, and I quote, It's absolutely bonkers. And further described the find as, quote, absolutely gobsmackingly beautiful. While at the same time, other experts aren't yet convinced the find is from that one specific day. Shocker. So very recently, in the uh, Great White North, state of North Dakota, a very interesting fossil find was uncovered. A very well-preserved fossil of a dinosaur leg, complete with skin, as well as a fossilized turtle skewered through with a wooden stake, some small mammals, fish that had glass spherules embedded in their gills, some skin from a triceratops, and a pterosaur, look, I know it's pronounced pterosaur, a pterosaur embryo preserved in its egg, as well as some logs and trees and what they believe may be fragments of the asteroid. So the reigning thought in science, that's capital S with the quotes around it, is that 66 million years ago, a massive asteroid impacted the Earth at the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, triggering tsunamis and volcanoes and hurricane winds, not to mention absolute annihilation in the blast zone. This caused a massive amount of ash dust and the like to spew into the sky with the eventual killing off of the dinosaurs due to climate change, <laughs> extreme cooling to be specific. And here's the thing, from an evolutionary worldview, they actually have a plausible scenario. What we do know is that something massive did impact the Yucatan Peninsula at some point in this planet's past. There's no denying that. The size, the force, and potential effects can be calculated with a fair amount of reasonable accuracy just based off of what we know. This impact would have absolutely created the glass spherules, which are created in very specific circumstances. Basically, molten rock blasted into the air, some sort of dispersion, and then cooling while in the air, raining down as very tiny glass balls. The plume of material would have shot high into the sky and would have been spread far and wide, which we see evidence of. It would have triggered volcanoes, tsunamis, hurricanes, which we see evidence of. It would have mixed all sorts of plants and animals together and buried them quickly, which we see evidence of. Now, I've linked a very good Answers in Genesis article about this asteroid impact in the notes. I'd recommend reading it. Very interesting. But stating as fact, that this asteroid impacted the Earth and wiped out the dinosaurs 66 million years ago is looking at the number on the ground from only one end. 
And this is where my mind always goes when finds like this are, well, found. Wait, no, not found. Discovered. That sounds better. My thought is, can the Bible explain this? Now, the first thing we need to do is disregard their claim of millions of years. Yes, I know that sounds closed-minded, but the reality is we have absolutely no proof of millions of years. We have current laws that govern the universe. We have certain processes that are assumed somewhat carelessly to have always worked the way we observe them today, except when that assumption doesn't work with the evolutionary theory, then we just, uh, we just ignore those for a little bit. One thing science points to is their dating methods. Now, I'm not sure if they've dated this latest find. At first they said they did, and then it was corrected that they didn't. I don't know. But they have dated the dig site, and they've dated other sites using argon-argon dating and determined that, yeah, it's, it's at the right age. Now, I discount this method as hit, and just about every dating method out there is not accurate or repeatable for dating anything. And that's mostly based on their assumptions. For more on argon-argon dating, check out my episode 17 entitled Grab Bag, link is in the notes, and listen to the review entitled, But I Could Be Wrong. Now for a timeline that has plausibility, we have a written genealogical record that dates this planet and this universe back to about 6,000 years or so. 1,500 years after it was created, we have the written record of a global flood. Something where the rains came down, the windows of heaven opened up and waters under the earth broke forth. This was a 40-day event that would have been absolutely cataclysmic. Could what we see fit into the Noah's Ark global flood record? Absolutely it could. Now, I heard one time many years ago, and unfortunately, I can't find it anymore, so take this with a grain of salt. But I, but I heard that if the mountains were as high during the flood event as they are today, which eh, I don't think that they probably were, but let's just go with this, and it only rained, so that in 40 days, everything across the entire world was covered. The rain would have had to been so heavy, come down so fast and so hard that the friction of the water droplets on the air would have lit the atmosphere on fire. The point being, rain alone didn't do this. This was not just a spring shower at least not to make a global flood as the Bible claims. It had to have been a massive event from above and below. Now, God could have supernaturally caused the waters from above and below to do his will. But he also could have set an asteroid in motion, or a number of asteroids with one <laughs> gigantic one, when he created the stars also, that would impact the Earth 1,500 years later, sending a shockwave through the planet, triggering the catastrophic end of the planet as we knew it. The asteroid impact can easily fit into the flood narrative, as can glass spherules, as can fossil bed of mammals, fish, dinosaurs, logs, and debris all mixed together. In fact, I'd argue that an embryo preserved in an egg, which was described as, quote, super rare, there's nothing else like it from North America, and skin of one dinosaur, a turtle with a spike of wood through its shell, and a dinosaur leg as well-preserved as it is, is more indicative of 4,500 years, not 66 million. So, did this dig reveal a fossil bed from the day the asteroid impacted the Earth? Oh, no idea. Very possibly. Was that 66 million years ago, a 1 out of 60.27 million chance of finding evidence from that specific day? 
Or was it 4,500 years ago? A one out of 1.64 million, million, not billion, chance. Well, I've given you my thoughts. The evidence is there for both viewpoints to look at. My suggestion for you is to walk around that number on the ground and then look up and down the sidewalk to see what other real, tangible evidence you can see and determine if this is a six or if this is a nine. I don't think anyone would disagree with the statement, we live in some crazy times. Love him or hate him, Glenn Beck has said for, I don't even know, well over a decade, 15, 20, 25 years now, that there would come a time that up would be down, in would be out, solid would be liquid, basically saying that everything you thought you knew to be true would be turned on its head. And for a portion of those alive, when that happened, and it appears a smaller and smaller percentage of the whole, we'd be standing wide-eyed, mouth agape, wondering, what is going on here? Now, I'm sure that Beck wasn't the first person to say this or predict this, and as we know from the book of Ecclesiastes, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. I guarantee that we're not the first generations to see reality seemingly flip. I could easily give a laundry list of things that no longer make sense, that despite all evidence, proof, facts, data, science, common sense, and logic, we're being told a thing is one way when we can clearly see it's the opposite. This is being done deliberately. We'll come back to that thought at the end of the review. For now, I want to focus in on one particularly nefarious, dehumanizing, purposeful, I could sum it up as evil, agenda that's being thrust upon us. The removal of, or mythologizing, of women. From foxnews.com, headline, NYC top health official refers to white women as birthing people, calls black and Hispanic women mothers. This article, as I've done with some of the past, is not really the focus of this review. It's more of a jumping off point for the broader discussion, if you will. So late in March 2022, Dr. Michelle E. Morse, the NYC Department of Health Chief Medical Officer, tweeted the following. Quote, the urgency of this movement is clear. Mortality rates of birthing people are too high, and babies born to black and Puerto Rican mothers in this city are three times more likely to die in their first year of life than babies born to non-Hispanic white birthing people. Okay, so we see the problem, right? And as expected, she got blasted on Twitter for her obviously deliberate delineation of whites as birthing people and non-whites as mothers. Although, I'll give her props, against all current rules of wokeness and against the AP style book, she actually capitalized white as well as black in her tweet. Although, that was probably <laughs> just a mistake on her part. Personally, I don't think either should be capitalized, but if you're going to capitalize one, you need to capitalize the other. Consistency, equality, equity, fairness. That's all I'm asking for. Well, that's demanding, well, screeching about, you know, <laughs> okay, uh, more digression done by me. Come on, Dan, focus. All right, here we go. After getting so much flack, the NYC Health Department knew they had some uh, public relations mopping up to do. Well, they came out fairly quickly to point out the clear oversight made by Dr., and I use that term very loosely, Morse, obviously setting the record straight that, quote, we apologize for inadvertently gendering black and Puerto Rican birthing people. Oh, there, that's better. What? Wait a minute here. Yeah, they didn't apologize for the racial undertones. They didn't apologize for the clear segregatory language. And they didn't make the obvious apology for using a 
stupid term that stupid people use stupidly, rather than just, you know, using the smart term that smart people use smartly. Mothers. No, their crime, well, actually it was doctor, and, and I use that term loosely, Morse's crime, her sin, which was daring to gender non-white birthing mother people persons, they, them, I don't know, I'm desperately trying to keep up here. But my question is, was that tweet an honest mistake? I'm actually going to say I believe yes, and also no. See, the tweet directly prior to this one, the start of her tweet thread, was a statement about supporting birthing people through their birthing experience and the gift we can share with the birthing people. So she's obviously been brainwashed, uh, instructed in the correct terminology to use. However, in the fourth tweet in this thread, she used the term breastfeeding, rather than the acceptable and oh-so-correct term of chestfeeding. So she's struggling to keep up, which, uh, join the club. And curious, just as a side note here, breastfeeding, all one word, is recognized by the online Microsoft Word app, which I'm using, which should have the most up-to-date dictionary available. But chest feeding, all one word, has the little red squiggles under it, meaning the onboard dictionary says, come on, Dan, you and I both know this isn't a real thing. Well, Mr. Gates, you, me, and your fancy typing program, we are in lockstep agreement here. That's one thing. So what is going on here? Well, when you check that tweet against the 280 character limit, which is the bane of my Twitter existence as a long-winded blowhard like myself struggles with that limit, she had plenty of room to change mothers to birthing persons or birthing people or could have left off mothers or birthing people entirely, since we all know that a person that gives birth is a woman, despite what the trans community would like us to believe. <laughs> Up is down. No, I think the real problem here is that of a racist nature. Now look, I'm not calling doctor, and, and I'm still using that term loosely, Morse a racist, I'm just saying that she clearly believes that some people groups with a specific melanin content greater than non-Hispanic whites are of greater value, greater worth than those with the lesser melanin content who should probably just go die in a hole for all of their hate. I only say this because she was apparently a co-author on an article in 2021 that essentially pushed for a critical race theory model for healthcare. One of the oft-repeated parts of the article said that they believed black and Latino, and I, I don't know why we don't have this as Latinx, the black and Latino heart failure patients should be given preferential admission to the specialty cardiac units so that they could bring equity back to that part of medicine. And this was echoed throughout their article that non-whites have been treated unfairly in the past, so the only way to bring equity to the healthcare system is to now treat whites unfairly. You know, to correct the imbalance. Now, she did admit, though, that it would probably be hard to do since the legal system is also racist. Except that, uh, no. <laughs> During the COVID pandemic, the NYC Department of Health declared being non-white a risk factor for COVID. Now look, I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. 
I don't know that we have enough data to prove that. I guarantee they didn't have enough data to prove that. But I find it logically difficult to believe that all non-whites had a higher risk than whites. So I believe that doctor, and this term is so loosely used, it's not even funny at this point, Morse made a mistake by not writing birthing persons to appease the masses, but I don't believe she made a mistake in her obvious racist intent. And this goes to the broader point of the review. Doctor, I mean, the looseness of this term usage is almost silly at this point. Morse was more interested in trying to dehumanize white women, white mothers, than she was at carefully towing the woke agenda's narrative. Her problem is the trans community, which by feel and looking at the mainstream media seems to be about 99.9% of all humanity, but in reality accounts for about 0.6% of all adults in the U.S. Well, they don't care what her agenda is. Their agenda is to not eliminate gender so much as it is to eliminate women. In the last few years, a process of dehumanizing, depersoning, as I said, mythologizing women has been taking place. A panel set to discuss an apparent disparity in pregnancy and post-pregnancy experiences for ethnic minorities first used the term birthing people. This term usage took place in November 2020, and the panel in question was from the Harvard Med Postgraduate and Continuing Education Department. The top of the top, at least in Harvard, medical professionals and researchers. Now, since then, we've had terms coined and shoved in our faces like these winners, gestational parent instead of mother, chest feeding using human milk rather than breastfeeding and breast milk, menstruators and people who bleed rather than women, and my personal favorite, non-prostate owner. (laughs) I'm not verifying any of that. The trans community is so hyper-focused on ensuring that a man that plays dress-up or feels a certain way or injects unnatural chemicals into the body or physically mutilates the body can be considered a woman and vice versa that they're struggling to find the correct terms to use since the entire thing is nonsense. It turned into a clown show at this point, but only to people who still consider solid to be solid and liquid to be liquid. So why is this happening? Why this focus on the elimination of genders and specifically the elimination of women? Well, I would point to two interconnected reasons. First, the overall issue is the systematic, maniacal agenda to eliminate God from this world and thus a total loss of connection with reality, a literal, functional psychosis that I believe is brought on by trying to tell your brain that knows there is a God that there is no God, and then attempting to live as such. Put simply, I believe that our brains are failing. They're being forced to function in a way that they were never designed to do. The second reason we're trying to eliminate women is more directly impactful. The only system in all of human history that has treated women well, rightly, with dignity, with respect, has been, (laughs) drumroll, Christianity. When you remove that bedrock, even if only as a moral or ethical foundation, the respect for women is gone. After God finished creating all things, Satan, in cooperation somehow with the serpent, asked the question, did God say? Satan, the father of lies, has been questioning God's laws, God's love, God's sovereignty, and even God's existence for 6,000 years now. Personally, I believe that right now, the evolutionary theory was the catalyst that set off this chain reaction to slowly 
but surely eliminate God. This single theory literally eliminates God, eliminates truth, eliminates laws, eliminates morals, eliminates uniqueness, eliminates anything that could potentially mark a human being as something different or unique or special. All we are is a bunch of cells that happen to be the fittest and survived so far, but we're nothing really more than an advanced mammal, which is nothing but an advanced reptile, which is nothing but an advanced fish, which is an advanced invertebrate, which is nothing but advanced slime, which is just a single cell that happened to be lucky enough to form and last and exist, despite the fact that per their own theory, there's literally no possible way for that to ever have happened. But because of this evil and frankly stupid theory, we now have cover as a society to say, gender is all in your mind. It doesn't matter what they say you were at birth. You can be anything you want since we're all just the same. Evolution allows us to use the excuse that it's the oppressive, antiquated, mythical religions that have forced this gender binary system on people that are anything but one of only two sexes. The theory of evolution literally allows us to say, the mind is correct. I was just randomly given the wrong parts. Christianity says that the body is correct. The mind is damaged because of the effects of sin. But unlike evolution that stops at, you are whatever you think you are, deal with it. And many do deal with it through drugs or dangerous behaviors or suicide. Christianity says, you are who God created you as. Let's figure out what's going on. And let's explore the one way, the one truth, who can give the one life you're actually searching for, and who can heal the damage that's causing this skewed thought process. Yeah, hope. We don't need any of that these days, do we? No, your truth is truth. Just hope in yourself. Whatever it takes to feel good about you, and if that feeling changes later, well, eh, we'll just deal with it then. It's not hard to see how we have mass hysteria over a virus, or mass psychosis over a vaccine, or mass delusion over gender. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals and creeping things. The smarter we get, the more foolish we are. As for the treatment of women, Christianity was counter to even Judaism regarding the view of women. You see this illustrated over and over in the Bible, Old and New Testament. Sarah, blessed with a child in her old age, a child that would be a father to an entire nation after a life of not being able to have children. Esther, saving the Jewish nation from mass genocide. Look into the Mosaic laws regarding women. Different laws than we have today, sure, but there was respect. There was expected conduct for both men and women and consequences for one or both if deviated from. Look at the interactions that Jesus had with various women, women that the Pharisees and the Jews in general would never have come close to. Look at the Galatians, where it's declared that women are equal with regard to salvation. I mean, yeah, the culture was different. And no, women are not equal. They are complementary. So men have a role. Women have a role. But loving our neighbor didn't discount women. Salvation doesn't discount women. Jesus didn't discount women. Christianity presented women as ones to be cherished, loved, protected. Now look at other religions. Dig into them 
I, I, I dare you, dig into them. Women are treated as second-class citizens, as half of a man, as tools, as throwaway items. They're abused, they're mutilated, they're forced into various forms of slavery. They must submit, they are bartered with, they are discarded or murdered if deemed necessary. And I'm not thinking of only one or two religions that you might be thinking of. Look into the so-called peaceful religions. Hinduism, Buddhism. By their own doctrine, women are not considered to be worthy of respect. When you eliminate Christianity from a society, you erode and eventually eliminate the worth, the value, the status of women. They are no longer valuable as a fellow image bearer of God because we've done away with God. From an evolutionary standpoint, women are there to conquer, use, and make children for the men to spread his genes as far and as wide as possible. Any religion that isn't Christianity is as satanic as atheism, agnosticism, or evolutionism. And they will all treat women the same perverse, degenerate way. This war against women is being waged by the trans community, by the politicians, by the media, under direct coordination of Satan. Of that I have no doubt. Satan is a liar. He perverts the truth of God in the minds of the lost. He wants to destroy God's image bearers. And this is what we're seeing. Satan is taking one of the most basic components of creation, male and female, with regard to the pinnacle of God's creation, humanity, and trying to destroy it at the core. Now, he won't win. I don't know if Satan thinks he can win. He knows the Bible better than any of us. He knows he loses in the end. He knows that God is God and he's not, but until he's cast into that pit, he's going to try to destroy as much as he can. So, men, I don't have an action plan. I don't have the answer, but I know this. On your home front, in your sphere, as large or small as that might be, fight for women. Protect your daughters. Protect your wives. Hold your church to account if they stray from the Bible or move on to one that actually respects the Bible and women. Capitulating to psychobabble about trans this or gender something that is not loving. It's evil. It's hateful and it's wrong. And for a church to do it, well, they're not a church. They're a tool of Satan. As I've said before, even in the midst of what looks like chaos, we can rest in the knowledge that God is sovereign in even this. If he didn't have a plan for this mess, he wouldn't be God. And if he didn't have a plan for this, it wouldn't exist today. So we know that God is in total, complete control, even when things look chaotic. But on the human front, we need to be engaged in a battle to save and protect the women in our world, relying on, begging God for his protection, his wisdom, and his spirit to guide us. A number of years ago, I taught elementary age Sunday school. That was both rewarding, infuriating, and terrifying, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I didn't like using the prepackaged materials, as most of those are simply just awful. The same 52 stories told the same way at the same time every year with the same tear-out coloring sheets and on and on. So I worked to build my own curriculum for most of the time I taught. We did a deep dive on creation where the kids made their own little earth and universe in a little wooden box. We call it their magical box of mystery and wonder. We built a cutaway replica of Noah's Ark, just the boxy version, as that's all we really know from the Bible. But we made it to scale with the smallest people I could find at the hobby shop. We took a year and did a comparison study on the main religions of the world. Yep, elementary age kids. And we took a little less than a year to talk about the Christian foundations of the United States of America. Now, depending on who you listen to, and, and I'm talking about solid Christian teachers and pastors here, some say that the U.S. was never a Christian nation. Some say it definitely was. Some are in the middle. What I think can be agreed upon now, however, 
is that this nation, whatever its founding was, is now a post-Christian nation. Some may think we're entering that phase. Some may think we're well into it. Very few, at least from what I can find, actually still think that this nation is a solidly Christian nation. I came across an interesting article from what appears to be a left-leaning website, and I'm making that assumption based on the general phrasing of the headlines of their homepage, from theweek.com headline, Will Anyone Be Happy with a Post-Religious America? Now, isn't that an interesting question? Now, this article isn't specifically on Christianity, but the simple graphic for the article is a lone cross on a hill with presumably a sunset in the background. It's, it's highly focused on Christianity. The first sentence of the article pretty much sums up the premise and the reality. Quote, post-religious America is growing up. Now let that sink in for a minute. What does that actually mean? Well, this article is based off of a Deseret News and Marist poll entitled The State of Faith in America Today. Now I'm going to jump to that poll to go over some of the findings in a minute, but I want to briefly cover a few things from this article first. So the author points out what I think we all instinctively know, the older the demographic, the more likely it is that they'll go to church. Although I don't know if that's age-related or generation-related, as in, you know, will the younger generation return to church as they get older? I guess only time will tell. So although a minority of all demographics say they go to church at least weekly, the author says that just because we're post-religious, it doesn't mean we're atheistic. In fact, 54% say that they still believe in the God of the Bible. 29% believe in some other higher power. And a total of 71% consider themselves spiritual. Apparently, what this author deduces is that the younger generation is just finding other ways to do church. And that whole not forsaking the gathering of yourselves together thing is apparently not what all the cool kids are doing these days. There appears to be quite a split developing between the older generation and younger generations that seems to want to have religion their way, if they want it at all. The author wraps up the article with a paragraph and a sentence that I want to read verbatim. He's really got some interesting points in this article that I think we as Christians need to really consider. But as for this ending, he says, and this is referring back to the apparent developing divide, he says, quote, That scenario involves frustrations for both the right and the left. On the one hand, traditional religion seems to be facing continued retreat at least for the next several decades. It won't disappear, but it will become more culturally and politically marginal. On the other hand, European-style secularism is unlikely to take hold anytime soon. At least symbolic professions of faith and aspirational attachment to religious belief and practice remain important parts of public life. The survey includes some evidence supporting that deflating conclusion. Nobody gets what they want. Now, isn't that an interesting way to state that? Nobody gets what they want. I mean, it makes sense, as that's exactly what the desire is by the a-religious left to move religion in America to the European-style secularism, which... (laughs) Don't worry, we're getting there. It's just a matter of time. So as premise of the article, will anyone be happy with a post-religious America, is never really answered. It's, It's never really addressed. His question would have been more accurately stated as, will either side win the religion battle in America, or something along those lines. But I think we want to return to the question, will anyone be happy 
if the U.S. becomes a European-style secularist nation. I know that I'm biased, I admit that, but from a logical worldview, the simple answer is no. We'll come back to this question in just a minute. I want to look at a few things from the survey really quick. According to the data, 11 years ago, about 52% said that they attended a religious service at least once or twice a month. This latest poll shows that number down to 40%. Now think about this. This is literally saying, do you go to any sort of church, synagogue, mosque, anything, a minimum of 12 times per year? And only 4 out of 10 said they do. That said, 53% said that they pray daily, and I'd have to ask, to who and and why? Furthermore, 87% of Americans believe being part of a close-knit community is important, but apparently church isn't that community. So, uh, so what is? 72% of Americans believe that we're morally headed in the wrong direction as a country, but only 34% of adults and... Only 45% of Christian adults believe that being religious is necessary in order to live a moral life. Well, if it's not from your faith, where do you get morals? I mean, evolution, by definition, cannot develop morals. The morals I evolved may be completely different than the ones you evolve with. With random chance, there's no way to know. And who's to say who has the correct morals? Maybe I'm more evolved than you. Going on, when asked who is looked to for moral guidance, family takes the win with nearly 80% saying they'd look to family first. But if the family isn't following God, what are they actually teaching anyone? Anything religious in that question falls in 4 through 6, and that's behind family, law, and friends, but thankfully that's ahead of politicians, social media influencers, athletes, and Oprah. And then we get into possibly the largest revelation, the biggest issue in this poll, in my opinion, 60% of Americans say the future of the country is in man's hands, not God's. And that includes 52% of alleged Christians that have elevated man as the supreme being of at least this planet. Christians that believe God is just biting his fingernails, hoping beyond hope that we figure this out, really should go read their Bibles. 52% say that religion has no role in their politics. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. 81 million votes, people. Maybe let your faith inform your voting just a little bit next time, huh? Like, maybe not vote for people that want to kill your kids before they're born, and if they miss them there, transition them to another gender or whatever before they even know their multiplication tables. Now, while 62% believe that God inspired the First Amendment, 55% believe the Constitution is inspired by God, 50% believe that God wanted blacks to be treated fairly, you know, the 15th Amendment, 48% believe God wanted women to be equal, 19th Amendment, and only 37% believe that God likes guns, the Second Amendment. Okay, these all have to do with freedom of humankind, I kind of think some personal opinions might have gotten mixed up in here, as if you're looking at it from a God perspective, shouldn't they literally all be the same across the board? And if the question is, did God inspire these, and your personal view on the issue is tainting your answer, who exactly is your God? Finally, 66% 
believe that the majority of Americans have a shared sense of right and wrong. And to that I'd have to ask, when's the last time you looked outside? Although, maybe that is accurate. Maybe the question should have been, do you believe Americans share the same biblical view of right and wrong? I might be okay with saying 66% have agreed to a heading on the compass that they're calling right. But does that look anything like what the Bible calls right? And I'd say no. Christians, I don't think we realize how narrow is the way that leads to life. I don't think we know how few it will be that find it. It's literally impossible for 54% to believe in the God of the Bible, but only 35% believe the direction of the country is in God's hands. That's not a gap that can exist if you, you know, read your Bible and understand who God is. What we're seeing here is a post-Christian America. Sure, people may go to these self-help seminars put on by health, wealth, prosperity charlatans, scamming them out of their time and money and call it church, but that doesn't mean that God is present or that he has a place there. Behold, he stands at the door and knocks, but uh, these types of churches are telling him that nobody's home. Come back another day. If you vote without letting your faith dictate your vote as much as possible, and especially if you vote for the side that wants God out and baby murder in, let me be very blunt here. You may want to figure out if you're actually saved. The excuse of, my daddy voted Democrat, doesn't work anymore, because your father is looking at you gleefully approving the slaughter of his unborn children, then slapping an I voted sticker on your shirt. Are you trying to be approved by your daddy? or by your father. We're told not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together in today's lingo, get your butt to church. But we have a bunch of able-bodied people rolling out of bed, getting coffee, eventually maybe turning on the church service yeah, a little while after it started so they can kind of turn the speed up and get through it a little faster. And then boom, tick off the church box for this week or, or this month. So the takeaway from this poll, in my opinion, is that maybe, maybe one-third of the respondents are actually Christians, and possibly, likely, less than that. These polls are always a gut punch, because you just don't expect people to be so misled and misinformed, yet believe they've got it all handled. And as the author of our article says, these numbers are likely inflated because, quote, desirability bias encourages respondents to report their aspirations rather than their actual practices. So back to the question, will anyone be happy if the U.S. becomes a European-style secularist nation? Again, I say no. I'm not going to go through all the statistics, but in the last 20-plus years, depression is up, suicide is up, murder is skyrocketing back up after falling for a couple of decades. Just look around you. As God has been systematically removed from society and family and church has been more and more marginalized, is the country getting better or worse? Or maybe I should say, is the country following God per the instructions in the Bible, or man per the feeling of the day? Regardless of your view of our founders, be they deists, atheists, or born-again, water-dunked, holy-rolling Christians, the reality is that the Bible had a major influence on our Constitution. In fact, Christianity is quite literally the only religion that treats women and all ethnicities with respect. Look it up. I challenge you. In the era of the Bible account, 6,000 years ago to about 100 AD, you'll find no other religion that treats all mankind as image bearers of their creator and respects all of them. 
So whether people want us to be a post-Christian nation or not, the fact that they can openly debate that topic is thanks to Christianity. Even people like Bill Maher and Penn Jillette, both avowed atheists, one very antagonistic and hateful, and the other very cutting toward Christians, they both admit that when you compare Christianity to Islam, there is no question who is more loving and more kind and more freedom-minded. Penn has said that Christians will still be kind to him, even when he makes the meanest jokes at their expense. He also says that he has great respect for Christians that tell him about Christ, because if they really believe he's going to hell, why would they hide that secret from him? And although both of these prominent figures understand there are bad apples everywhere, they also agree that for the most part, if this country was devoid of Christians, it would be a much different and a much worse place. Now, I try to avoid correlation equals causation type arguments, but when you go from presidents that truly offered prayers for the nation and led the nation in prayer, schools that featured the Ten Commandments and taught lessons either directly from the Bible or based on the Bible, parents who placed importance on family, church, and the Bible, to a nation where it's a crime to state that you have specific convictions as it pertains to your personal business, and lawsuits are being filed constantly to keep any biblical language out of the public arena. And you see the morality of the nation slide at the same time. It's hard to say that one doesn't have a direct cause on the other. We are absolutely heading into a post-religious America and are likely already at least ankle deep in it. And it will not make anyone happy. Christians will be disappointed to see the nation plunge even deeper into the depths of evil. Non-Christians will get angrier, more depressed, more depraved, and nothing will make them happy. But just because the country is sliding that way, you shouldn't slide that way. Do not allow yourself or your family or your church to become post-religious. As Christians, this is not our home. We're just here temporarily. So although our surroundings can have an effect on our physical lives, it should not have an effect on our spiritual lives, our joy, or our mission or at least not a negative one, get in the Word, pray, go to church, learn, study, prepare yourselves, put on the whole armor of God, battle's coming, be ready for it, and rejoice in who we know is the conquering king, and who is in fact in total and complete control, yes, of even this country. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.